Welcome to In the Growth Space. This is the show for business owners and leaders who have a thirst for growth. Thanks so much for listening in today. On this show, I have conversations with leaders who have great growth stories so that we can all learn from them. Now, before we get started in today's episode, I want to let you know about the Inner Circle Summit. Now, if you're a leader, you're going to want to bring your team to this event here in the Pittsburgh region on Friday, December the 10th, 2021. The Inner Circle Summit is a one-day event where leaders from a variety of industries and backgrounds get together to mastermind and to learn from some of the top leaders in the world. Our keynote speaker this year is Paul Martinelli. Now, for those of you who have listened to the podcast for a little while, you're going to recognize his name because he's actually been on the podcast. He was my very first guest on the podcast, and he's been a mentor of mine now for a number of years. He's a native of Pittsburgh, and he is the co-founder of the John Maxwell team. And he shared the stage with greats like John Maxwell himself and Seth Godin and Zig Ziglar, Nick Vujicic, and uh, Les Brown, to just to name a few. And if you want to know anything about building and growing a business, you really have to be in the room on December 10th at the Inner Circle Summit. Now, we also have been able to secure some of his time for a very exclusive VIP evening on Thursday, December the 9th, where you'll be able to be in a very intimate environment and you'll have an opportunity to ask Paul your business growth questions. We're limiting this particular uh, opportunity and option to a very small group, so be sure to jump on and register quickly before we sell out. The registration page that you need uh, is at davidmcglennon.com forward slash inner circle summit, which is in all lowercase davidmcglennon.com forward slash inner circle summit. So in this episode, it's a new experience for me because I have not one, but two guests on and I interview them together. And this is a new experience, obviously, but uh, they are great. And, and one of the great things about having this podcast is that I get to have some conversations with some really, really interesting and amazing people. And I have to say that this was one of them. Now, how this came about is that I read an article in the Harvard Business Review, and I just really resonated with the co-authors of this, of this article. And so I just reached out. And believe it or not, they had just written a book and uh, they gave me a, an advanced copy. I was able to read it and, and have them on the podcast. And so I am super excited to share this interview with you. Let me first just read a little excerpt from their book uh, because I think this will set up the conversation really well. And I quote, Imagine what it feels like to work in a place that treats people like human beings, not resources. Imagine what is possible when how you work together is just as important as what work you do. Imagine working in an organization where people and profits are equally valued. This is a place where humanity works, and this is what we want for you and the people you work with. Humanity Works Better was written to help you and your organizations improve workplace productivity. Working together is messy, and most people don't know how to navigate it well, end quote. And that excerpt was from Debbie Cohen and Kate Rosk Zummer's book called Humanity Works Better, Five Practices to Lead with Awareness, Choice, and the Courage to Change. So let me give you a little bit of a bio for both Debbie and Kate. 
Debbie Cohen's beliefs about human potential are grounded in decades of work working with humans, big and small. Her career began as a teacher and a leader of early childhood education programs at Stanford University and the USGS. This era shaped her thinking about how humans grow and evolve and the role that environments play. She moved on and applied these ideas, uh, building strategies with companies seeking to attract and retain key talent through work-life initiatives. This work heightened her awareness of systematic roadblocks and the impact that they have on people and productivity. Shifting from consulting to internal work, Debbie began leading Work Life for Time Warner uh, just after the infamous AOL Time Warner merger. She became known for getting groups who did not typically work well together to a place of shared focus and effort. And this ignited a bigger shift into executive leadership roles in HR at uh, Time Warner, Razorfish, Mozilla, and First Look, LLC. The, the impact of Debbie's work was recognized in a case study released by Harvard Business Publishing, People Operations at Mozilla Corporation, Scaling a Peer-to-Peer Global Community, which received the 2013 Berkeley Haas Case Award for the most important contribution to management education. Let me just read a little bit about Kate as well. So Kate Rosk Zummer knows vulnerability-based leadership creates stronger relationships, more authentic connections, and better results. As an account manager at Ogilvy & Mather, Kate recognized the power in distributing responsibility to the people on her team. She experienced firsthand that the whole of a team really is greater than the sum of its parts. Eventually, Kate experienced the fatigue that comes from working in a system where conversations repeat and go nowhere. So she changed what she could, which was where she put her focus. She let go of her advertising career, and in 2003, she became a certified coach back when folks only associated the term coach with sports. Several decades and hundreds of clients later, Kate remains steadfast in her calling to support people on their journey to be the humans they want to be. She knows the power of coaching to help people overcome their internal roadblocks. This is her purpose in life. Kate is now a master coach, even devoting eight years to training other coaches on the faculty of Coactive Training Institute. She has brought her skills to organizations, including Mozilla, Pinterest, Adobe, Davida, CBS Interactive, United Way of America, Intuit, Clever, Charge, and Articulate. She has a master's degree from Cambridge University, England. And I don't want to just belabor the point anymore, but this conversation was amazing. So let's just go ahead and get into it right now. Well, hello, ladies. Thank you so much for joining me. It's great to have you both here in the growth space. Uh, I just am really excited to, to have this conversation. You know, one of the things that was interesting is I was introduced to you both through a local Vistage chair who sends out a weekly email, and he had a link to your article in the Harvard Business Review. I read the article and I thought, I've got to have these two on my podcast because you're you're singing my song, as they say. So, so welcome. <laughs> Thank you. It's so nice, nice to be here. Yeah, that's right. It's so <laughs> delightful to be here. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, so needless to say, I did read your article in, in the Harvard Business Review. 
And I think the one thing that I wanted to start with today, just the conversation around is you had this phrase or this quote that says, people are humans, not resources. And I, I love that. And I think that a lot of times this is a big shift for many leaders who have been used to calling things a human resource. And so I just love to just like open up with that. Like what led you to that phrase and, and like, how did you get to that part in your, in your journey? And I don't, that's directed to either you, Debbie or UK, either one. Yeah. Well, I'll go first. You know, when I ended up in the HR space, not by design, but by default, and I was really critical of what was happening in that space. Mm -hmm. And, and when the opportunity I don't know if it presented myself or it was more like you need to do this came along. I thought I can either sit on the outside and complain, or I could go inside and see mm -hmm. how hard is it to really get stuff done. Mm -hmm. And because I didn't come from that discipline, I walked in and gratefully was surrounded by just world-class experts doing great mm -hmm. things, but it afforded me the chance to ask a million questions. Why do oh, we do it this way? What would it look like to add value? How do we know we're adding value? What do our people need from us as opposed to overcomplicating things and somehow making our value that way? And, and part of the reason I became so enamored with the space was I just felt like people are the heart and soul. They are what fuel a company. And so why do we not treat people like that? And I just became really curious about it. And it wasn't until one of my last interim gigs, and they did a really sweet goodbye for me, where the HR person said, I never knew it could be this way. Mm. I didn't know that you could be in this function and allow and honor people as humans, not mm. resources. And it mm -hmm. was really an acknowledgement from someone else. And I was like, so we just sort of pulled it in yeah. to so much of what we do because it's such a honest uh, reflection. And there's so much in the space, the HR space, that is old ways of thinking that reinforce people as resources, which is where HR came from in the beginning of its origin. But that's not what it is today. It's certainly not what it is after the last 18 months. So I think it's just time to rebrand it, rethink it and think about our people in our organizations differently, which is really part of the problem set and why we wrote the book. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic, Debbie. Kate, what about you? I'd love to hear your, your take. Well, you know, we're, I, uh, I seem to be telling this story quite a bit, but it's true. We were at a disruptor dinner party and I was spent most of the time wondering why I was sitting there with people who were talking about the time continuum and how people can hold on to time. And I'm going, what am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> It was a really fun dinner party. It was a really fun dinner party. Deb was hosting. Yeah. And, and somebody was talking about a just-in-time uh, learning platform. And it was this kind of cool idea. Like, you know, you're in one part of the U.S. and you have somebody who's in Spain and you would get a notification saying, oh, coming up this next week is national holiday, you know. So you could sort of figure out the coverage, you know, for, for that part of the business and and you could also potentially ask him, what are you doing for this upcoming national holiday? And yeah. somebody at the dinner party said, well, that's great, but how is that going to help with productivity? And it was like someone lit a fire underneath me. I and this. I was like, because, you know,
know, it, you know, just on on uh, jumping onto the bandwagon of what Deb is saying, because you need your people to get all of the work done that you need to get done. It wasn't that common. I was going to say, wait a minute, in your book, I, and I'm so glad that you 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 shared this story because I was going to ask you about the story because what I remember reading in your book is like, no, because people really want to know that you give a shit about them, right? That's exactly right. That's what happened. That is what happened. I'm trying to be polite and not swear so much, but it's okay. it really is what happened. You know, I was like, because, you know, if that person feels like you care about them and are curious about them, then yeah. when push comes to shove and you know what, you've got this impossible deadline and you need all hands on deck, mm -hmm. right? When you ask your people, then will you be with me? Will you help us figure this mm -hmm. out? I, my, our, our, our whole purpose is if people feel like they give it, you give a shit about them. Yeah. Guess what? They're going to give it their all. They're going to give it their all. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Not rocket science to us, but somehow that's missing out of the whole people or resources, productivity, and yeah. it's missing out of all of that, you know? Well, and, and one of the things that I think, and, and this was something I was going to ask you about, because one of the things I think that happens oftentimes is we get programmed at an at an early age in in our business life so to speak and many of us grew I'll speak for myself I grew up in an era where it was really all about just productivity and it's the old industrial era mindset right. and so like how do we shift that mindset of probably a lot of senior leaders or, or many senior leaders, I think there's a tide that's shifting and, and, and your book and your work has, is going to help that for sure. But like, how do we shift that mindset to that population of leader who just thinks that we just got to get our people to, you know, produce more and do more and, and, and all of that? You know, it's so funny. We were talking about this in a little bit different way yesterday that, you know, certainly when I entered the workforce, which was, you know, a long, long time ago, um, you know, really back in the 70s, you know, I entered the workforce late 70s, early 80s. And, you know, I was brought up in an era where there was reciprocity. You showed up, you did a good days of labor and in turn for that labor, you were paid wages. And that was really about it, right? Yeah. And you know, for folks like Kate's dad, he might've worked his whole life in the same company. My grandpa had a business and he ran yeah. that business his whole career, yeah. but those days are over, mm -hmm. right? Uh, first this, I gave you a wage and people are expecting more. Employers expect more from their people. We sped up that conveyor belt and we asked yeah. people to do more faster. And then we mm -hmm sped up that conveyor belt and we took off every other person and we said now we need fewer of you to keep producing more yeah. keep going people right yeah. until people are like i have nothing left right. to give i have nothing left mm -hmm. and they started asking and requiring more and then we decided well gee this will be good let's put all these perks and and fluffy stuff around our people so we can keep them at work more and make them think they're having fun while they're doing yeah. it you know, I look, I was part of that era and that sure. worked for a while. And then this catalytic event called the pandemic happened. <laughs> yeah. And it was like the finger went into the hamster wheel and it's caused us all to stick our head up yeah. and say, you know, I loved in your, on your online introduction, David, it talks about, we got to stop doing stuff the old way. 
it right. doesn't work anymore. Right. right. This idea that you're going to have lifelong employment from your people, you are not. Right. Your people aren't going to be with you forever and you're not going to be loyal to them forever. Sure. So maybe we need to rethink this and say, maybe we need to do like a term of duty. Yeah. When you hire in, how yeah. long do you want to be here? What do you sure. want to contribute? What do you want to learn? Maybe it's time to move on. Maybe we look at tenure and pay attention to that more than turnover because mm. people are going to leave. Yeah. Things have changed and time to move along the workforce and the way that we think about our relationship with our people. There's a, there's a we're, we're in a lot of uh, conversations with a lot of different people right now. And, and there's, it's so interesting. Everyone's talking about the great resignation, the great resignation. And, yeah. and, and, uh, and, and we, we really believe that this is the great reset. Mm, That's I love something that. that we really believe. Like, yeah. it's not just the pandemic. It's not just millennials. It's not. It's not just any one thing. Justice. It, yeah. It's yeah. It's not. There's a conflation of all of these things. It's way more yeah. complex. And I understand we want to dumb it down. We want to simplify it so I can just sure. make it stop. Right. Right. <laughs> there's a little bit of hand flapping going on right now that people yeah. just want to make it stop. And you know, you'll see this through throughout the book, but it's our pause, get curious with your people, mm. get curious with the policies that you have in place. Yeah. Are they working? Are they outdated? What do you people want? Right. Mm -hmm. It's a new day folks. And I love that the old stuff is, is old, right? Yeah. So more is being now asked, not just of the employees, but also of the leadership and the people that are that are managing and running those organizations. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that that's where the rub is. I think our leaders, I mean, all of us don't particularly care for change, but I think, and what I'm remembering, you know, in your book, you're talking about really embracing change. And I love the word embrace because, and, and you even said this in your, in, in, in your work, um, that the words mean things. And, and when you embrace change, to me, you're leaning in and you're really grabbing a hold of it. And I think that that's really what our leaders must do now, because it's kind of like the turn of the century, not just this century, but the last century. You know, when we moved from, you know, a, an agrarian society to an industrial society, now we're in a knowledge economy. We're in a, a cre I think, a creative economy, and we have to be able to change the way we're working. And, and so I, I love what you said, Kate, about it's not just one thing, it's all of these things kind of coming together. Yeah. Well, what's coming up for me with that too, David, is that you mentioned mindset before. And yeah. in, the, in the book, right, we do a touch yeah. um, because we wanted to put our focus somewhere else. Sure. We do a touch on mindsets, four different mindsets to sort of do a self-check. Yeah. Self-awareness piece, right? Boundaries, uh, resistance, meaningful connections, and outcome creating. And, mm -hmm. and in the research, it shows that most of us, 85% of adults never evolve beyond a reactive state of being, meaning mm -hmm. something happens to us and we react to it. Yeah. And the opportunity, our belief, the competitive advantage as a human, as a society, and certainly in a business yeah. is to develop yourself to be uh, generative in those moments and, and less, spend less time in the swirl of the reactive. And that is a mindset choice that, mm. you know, we write about, but when you are in that moment that Kate was just referring to of, 
what do I want to create from this moment? Mm. Not how do I have to stop the pain of this moment? It puts you in a very different place to lead both your life and your organizations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I love that. And I think you're spot on. Well, and, and you, you used uh, a, a phrase there that I, I'm, I'm curious about. So you, you talked about competitive advantage. And I, I often said that, that our cultures as an organization, our company cultures can be our competitive advantage. And I think there's this myth of culture that it's soft and squishy and it, it doesn't translate into results. And so I guess for those leaders who kind of still are thinking that way, how do we, how do we change the way we look at culture and, and turn it into our competitive advantage? Well, this is one of the things that we talk about in the book. There is a, here's a very simple way of thinking about it. If your people are not getting along with each other, how much work are you getting done? How much work are you getting done that you need to get done? How is that going? Are people happy? Are they looking for other jobs, right? There is a, there is a domino effect when your people are not getting along. You, Mm -hmm. there is, it's directly related to this idea of collaboration and right now, if people are collaborating better, they're probably feeling more fulfilled, yeah. which means you're probably going to keep them because they're happier doing right. the work that they want to be doing. Right. Yeah. And I love it. I love your, your question because it is very much one of those things that we think that uh, talking about that's, that's partly why we, we gave the book, the title that we did, which is humanity works better. It's not just about let's all link arms and sing Kumbaya together. Right. We are making the case that if your people get along, yeah. you will get better results. Right. We're actually and- making that. And to that point, right. The pain point in organizations is we have tried to process re-engineer productivity to death. There's nothing more yeah. to squeeze out of your people. Mm-hmm. And when rubber meets the road, work gets done at the intersection of humanity. Mm. People have to talk to each other, resolve conflict, navigate difference, figure out how to solve hard, hairy, big problems, be kind to each other, say hello, you know, yeah. get into a relationship. Humanity is about the interdependency of one another. And I promise there is no business out there that is not successful because of its interdependency of people in its organization, those people in their relationship with your customers, your vendors, your suppliers, there is an interdependency. And when Mm. we can negotiate how to be with each other, not the doing of the work, but how we're being with other when we do the work, that is the biggest shift that, and that is, that costs no money, Right. You can do that just by showing up differently, you know, and we're a big believer when you start to change the people around you and back to culture, culture yeah. is the collective behavior of its people. That's it. Yeah. So if there's yeah. something about your culture that's not right, begin mm-hmm. to shift the behavior and your yes. culture will begin to shift. Uh, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And I think that so many companies when they think about culture, they think about the atmosphere and the environment. That's important, but you know, mission, vision, values, all of that's important. But at the end of the day, we have to look at what is going to drive our success, what behaviors are, are going to drive our success. And when we do that, when we look at the behavioral level, 
that really helps us to be able to perform what we need to perform to, to live out our values and to, to accomplish our mission. And I love what you said that our business lives at the intersection of humanity. I love that phrase that intersect because it really is the hard part of business is the, is the human aspect. And I know that in your book, you've created five practices that you talk about that really help uh, any organization to be able to live this out. And so I'd love for you just to maybe unpack that just a little bit. Don't give everything away because we want people to go out and buy your book, <laughs> but just like a little bit. Cause I know that one thing, you know, at the first part of the model, it's creating safety. And I, I know that I've talked with a lot of senior leaders who say, I know that we've got to create this psychological safety and we've got to create that, but how do we do that? So like, how do you guys start that? So, so what we've done is we have four mindsets that Deb was talking about just a minute ago, which kind of even before you get into these practices, it's, it's a good place to start and look at air and look at what your mindset is. And then we have these five practices and then embedded in each one of those are five skills. Mm. So, and those five skills can be used with any of those practices, but we've kind of attached a skill to your point. Like, how do I do this? Right. So in creating safety and we say, it's up to you. You yeah. are at the middle of the model, right? Yep. You know, stop looking elsewhere. If only he or she above or below or alongside me would be different, then I would be happier. Nope, yeah. we don't buy that. Yep. <laughs> we we buy it. that if you do something differently, and Deb just second ago, said this a second ago, if you behave differently, you will create a different environment. You will change mm -hmm. the people around you. Yeah. So in creating either when you shift, it creates yeah. a ripple effect. And so in creating Love safety, we, we talk about three different levels of listening, right? So yes. how do you do that? Really listen to what they're saying. We outline the three different levels. You can read all about that, yeah. but there is something about when you really listen to what is going on to the people around you, to the atmosphere around you. Mm -hmm. And if you don't like what's going on, that's when you can step in and say, gosh, something seems a little off here right now. Mm -hmm. Are we talking about the right thing? And we see how that sort of the ripple effect that that is going to have on that room. Suddenly people are going to be like, wow, now we're talking about the thing that we really should be talking about. Yeah. Which in terms of a productivity outcome yields trust. So part of what we did in the book was say productivity had tons of research about the outcomes. And we tend mm -hmm. to use platitudes like trust, right? Leaders, you need to build trust in your organization. And they're like, oh, you're right. How do we, right? <laughs> right. And so part of what we did when we got ready to write the book is like dialed it back a little bit and said, hmm, how could we help people get their heads around what could create trust mm -hmm. and safety? physical safety, psychological safety will manifest trust. And as Kate was saying, listening is a, is a conduit being able to say, wait a minute, I think we just stepped over something that was really important. You know, yeah. David, you know, was there something that you wanted to add into that room? I didn't make anybody wrong, but it created a space that lets people trust that their voice matters and that mm. they can put it into the room in a way that if you agree or have a contrarian point of view, it's safe to have that put out there and heard and the room will hold space for you to say what you need to say. Yeah, yeah, I think the that next, that, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Kate, go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to say the next practice is working together and we're really sort of helping people to not make it about you. Right. So oftentimes, you know, as, as leaders or managers, like we get it, you're ambitious. You want to get to the next level. But one of the things that happens when you're a a manager an emerging leader, whatever, you know, is that you need to stop making it about you and you need to get curious, you know, like what's going on over there. Let put your own needs down. And, um, and, and we say, this is a real perspective shift, you know, stop, stop making it feel like your needs get curious about others, what's happening for them. And, um, cause it's not about you. It's about yeah. them. When you get into that new management place of leading other people. I think that's and, a great place, David, of like old mindset of how we're supposed to manage and lead, right. Yeah. Is by taking charge at the front. And we're right. really taking an alternative perspective that the outcome, productivity outcome here is collaboration. If you mm-hmm. want collaboration, you have to show up differently. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's, that's such an important point. I think that we have to, just the, what you just said, we have to show up differently. And I think for a lot of leaders, that's challenging. And, it, and this whole pandemic has shifted things like that. You know, sometimes change happens gradually. Sometimes it happens overnight. In this particular case, I think it happened overnight. And a lot of people are going, whoa, 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 wait a second here. How, how do I navigate this? So I think, I mean, you guys couldn't have, you know, timed your book more perfectly because it's really <laughs> perfect timing for it. Yeah, yeah. I we love hope it. so. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, <laughs> I, I definitely so, you know. Humanity will be around for a while. So we're <laughs> yeah, yes, right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, so talk talk more. Uh, so that was the, the first two practices. The first What's two, the, yeah. yeah. And the next one is is claiming value, which is, I think, you know, Deb, we're talking about this more and more with people. And I think mm-hmm. it's related to the great resignation and everything that's going on there. Mm-hmm. I think people go, oh, I'm not happy here, so I'm going to leave and I'm going to go over there, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> and until you do some of that internal work of claiming value, you know, it is about aligning your own behaviors and actions. So Mm -hmm. what you do and how you do it has continuity so that, you know, you are, gosh, this is really important to me. Let me find ways of bringing that out into the world. And it's not related to necessarily your functional title or work, but it is really the the big internal work you talk about that in terms of that self-awareness work of finding out you know, what is important to you mm-hmm. and then trying to find some sort of, you know, alignment between that and what you do every single day. This is where so many of you have been, you know, told be authentic, be authentic. And you're like, what does that mean to be does authentic? Mean, right? I don't know. What does that mean? Right? <laughs> right. And what we're, and what we're helping you do in this particular chapter is really pause. One of our favorites is probably the next, the next book that we're going to write pause and say like, who do I really want to be? Not who do I think I'm supposed to be? Not what's the armor I'm supposed to put on when I'm doing leadership, Mm -hmm. but who am I? And how do I want to reflect that to the world? Yeah, Through continuity of my words and my actions and my behaviors. And that will yield continuity. That's what makes compelling leaders is that continuity of your character and that you back to being safe, are reliable, dependable. They know what to expect of you in good times and not great times. Mm -hmm. You can mess up and the world won't come clamoring around your ankles because 
you've created a narrative for yourself, mm-hmm. a brand for yourself that is honest and true and real. Yeah. Uh, that's so I have to just pause for a second and speak to the emerging leaders who are listening, because I know part of my, my emerging leader group has probably heard me talk about this over and over and over again, but this is exactly why what both Debbie and Kate are talking about is why we have you go through clarifying your values and, and not only clarifying your values, but creating your own leadership mission statement. Because when you do that, then you can live in alignment with what, like Kate was talking about, live in alignment and be authentic. So I I love that you both said that because I had to pick up on that and just share that. So if you're a part of the emerging leader inner circle, Rewind, go back and listen to the last couple of minutes because that's <laughs> why and that's that's important. So th- well, thank you. Because yeah, totally. Because we've written this uh, newsletter. We do a newsletter too, like all the yeah. other people. Yeah. But anyway, and uh, you know, because we we and one of them is your baggage has wheels. If yeah. you're, you know, do you know why you're leaving the organization? What are you going to? What are you not getting? Could you mm-hmm. get it where you are? Because otherwise, you're just dragging it along with you. So, so this is important work to be done, you know, and then the next practice is owning your impact. And, Mm -hmm. um, one of our favorite topics is leaders, people are watching you because they are (laughs) all the time. time. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of like being a parent, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And they're calibrating their behavior based on how you are showing up. And we talk about, sometimes you have an intended impact and sometimes you have an unintended impact. Right. Yeah. And it's important for you to start to not just be in your own head about how you are showing up, how you think you should be showing up. It's also important to be noticing outside of, with the people around you. Mm-hmm. You know, what is that impact? Is that the impact that you want to be have? And so we do a whole, you know, piece on, you know, are you compelling and what makes you compelling? And this is where we want to bust some of those old beliefs that to be a leader, I need to look a certain way. Talk about a mask on your face that it has to look a particular way when we really very wholeheartedly believe that, gosh, the more individual you are quirky, maybe nerdy, maybe you know, maybe quiet, right? right? Maybe, maybe, you know, warm, right? All of the, whatever it makes you compelling, be that, just be that. And imagine what that does back to some of the movements inside organizations to be more inclusive of different people and styles. And when you, you know, show up as your full expression of self, taking responsibility for an impact that you might create that is unintended. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not full permission to just show up and yeah. not take responsibility. Right. It gives permission to other people too, because yeah. they're watching you. And when you go, when you lead the way, mm-hmm. other people will follow. It feels yeah. safer. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So true. So I know that leads then to the last practice that you guys talk about daring to know. So talk a little bit about that. Oh, no, no. But let me just help you correct that. It's daring not 
to know. Daring not to know. Okay. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> it's daring not to know, which is our, like, this is like the one I could talk about all day long, you know? Um, and it is busting that old belief that as leaders, we need to know. And if we don't know, we're just going to make it up. And, yeah. and there's there, this is where this one is. So I'm so passionate about because it is sort of turning leadership on its head in a way. Um, yeah. Our very strong belief is how do we give people permission to, to admit that they don't know everything because you cannot know everything. Exactly. And so we talk about this. What relief a- that must be. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. <laughs> Say that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that this is a practice of, of surrender and what's it like to admit that you don't know. And when you have the courage to say that it invites other people into the conversation, into right. participating to solve some of these super complex problems that we're having. But more importantly, it's to me, it's about you being authentic and mm-hmm. trusting the people that are on your team to help you all solve the problems that you need to be solving. You can still knit things together, right? At the end, productivity outcome here is engagement, right? When you create space for others to step with you in Mm -hmm. solving a problem, offering solutions, feeling seen, being trusted to put their voice in the room, imagine it sort of brings the model a bit full circle, although you can step into the model wherever your um, place of of need is. it's a it's a um, it's a powerful one. It is probably with uh, the C-suite level one of the places we're having the most conversations because people are like, okay, well, like, but how do I do that? I can't just like step out onto an all hands meeting, and be like, I'm clueless, folks. I don't know what we're going <laughs> yeah. to we're how to get there, right? Yeah. And so here, the the probably trick that you know the the tip to getting in uh, in the groove with this particular uh, practice is curiosity, mm. right? It's like, hey, David, you know, I'm wondering yeah. what you're thinking. You know, I've been chewing on this idea of how to make a better box. You know, have you ever thought about that? You know, mm-hmm. what are your ideas? And yeah. you invite people into a conversation with you, which is another way of not knowing, you know? Right. Like, I've been trying to solve this problem of how to create a new zipper, you know? feels like it's been done before, but man, if we could make a zipper that would zip backwards, that would be awesome, right? What ideas do you have about that? We're going to get fuller participation. People are going to be more engaged in the outcome. Mm -hmm. They're going to want to help you bring something to life if they feel like, man, I I was a part of that, as opposed to just passive recipients to your brilliance. Because our belief is that people want to contribute. They're doing the work yes. that they're doing at your organization because they want to help as well. Right, right. <laughs> so it's one of the big mindsets right now that, man, we're having lots of conversations with companies about, about meaningful connections. Mm. And one of the best ways to create meaningful connections is to step toward people. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and that, that I think is has been made harder in some ways during the pandemic, yet at the same time, I know a lot of leaders who are being very intentional with their stepping into that and getting closer and making that connection. And I think those are the ones who have been successfully navigating this whole time as well. And so I, I love that you said that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So if, if you're talking to a business who's like hearing this, 
and they say, okay, I, I get it. I, I want to make sure that I make the shift and I want to make sure that I'm looking at my people as humans and not resources. What's the first place to start other than the fact that they need to go buy your book, which I, I, I want to make sure that we will we'll talk about that here in a second, how they go do that. But like, what's, what's their first step? Well, you know, I'm sort of reminded in this moment of a conversation I had with Henry Kimsey House, who's one of the founders of coaching the industry and um, CTI in particular, the Coaches Training Institute. And, you know, I said to him, gosh, do you think you can change an organization? He said, no, I don't think you can. I was like, really? He's like, no, but I can change you and I can change you and I can change you. And if I change all of you individually, Mm -hmm. collectively, you're going to have a shift in the organization. Yeah. And so I think that there are some, you know, of course we have, we have training programs, coaching, you know, but, but, you know, there's a part of us that really believes that this has to come from individuals. And if you start with the leadership of mm. your organization, you are going to see a ripple effect for sure. Yeah. One of the things, you know, tying on to Henry's work um, internally to companies when I was um, doing that work uh, from the inside, one of the things that I would often look at is where's the pain the greatest? Mm. And I get right now, there's a lot of pain in a lot of places and everybody's trying to figure stuff out. Um, but when I went into organizations and still we go in and work and advise uh, with companies, we look at where's their pain, right? Mm. A lot of times we come into companies that are on the cusp of rapid growth and they're either trying to proactively position for growth or they are in the deep pain points of that rapidly scaling growth. And yeah. there's a lot of mess and confusion that they're wanting some uh, humanity brought to. Yeah. Um, and so we're just a big fan of where the pain is the greatest is where receptivity to relief will mm. come. And so if you really look at where the pain is the greatest in your organization, that might be in you. It might be in your leadership team. It might be mm. in your management crew, you know, my heart just bleeds for managers right now because their job of what they thought managers were has now changed. And now it's changed again with them taking on all kinds of weight for people's health and well-being. Um, So wherever the pain is the greatest, that might be a place to step in and be like, Mm. what could we do? Where could we use some of these practices or skills to begin to, to shift ourselves and our organizations and help people feel seen and heard and valued yeah. um, in a way that is real and true and honest. Yeah. I, I think that's amazing. I, I think that that is so insightful and I appreciate you know, that. And, and, you know, one of the things that it reminds me of, and, and when Kate, when you were, were sharing I was part of a leadership group that went down to South America and are with John Maxwell. And, and part of our um, like saying was that transformation begins in me. And it's all, it, and when, when we look at me and we look at where can I change, where can I transform, then I can um, impact others. It's almost like putting your own oxygen mask on first. And, and, and I think that a lot of leaders need to hear that right now because they need to make sure that they're taking care of themselves. Yes. And 
also being really aware of how they're showing up and where they need to, to shift and change and being totally vulnerable about that as well. And so I, I, I think that the way you focused this book is, is phenomenal. And so I, I know we could actually go on for, for hours because I've got so much curiosity about um, y- your book, your model, and, and just the, the, the whole topic. But let's send our listeners to where they can find your book. Where, where do they get it? Where do they get a hold of you? Where do they connect with you guys? So you can check us out on our website, which is uh, humanityworks.com. All one word, no dots or dashes. And there are tons of resources on there. You know, this podcast will be on there. Other podcasts that we've been, you know, sort of a part of articles and newsletters and all of that good stuff. So definitely come and check us out. We're also on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and all of that. Yeah. yeah. Very responsive to messages on LinkedIn. And that's probably the easiest and probably our highest traffic site. And also the website has a contact site for us. We're refreshing just because we've we've redone our programs to uh, align with the model. Uh, so we offer programs for managers, our resilient manager program, our influential leader program, and our executive pause program. So manager, emerging leader, C-suite. We will have early next year an online program so people can take a deeper dive into some of the practices of the group through a self-paced and then blended learning approach. So you can have a mm. book group or a facilitator on your HR team or a team lead or somebody in your group that just is passionate about it. The book is available everywhere. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, all that good stuff. So, so if you if you if you feel inclined, check us out on Amazon and write a review. That would be awesome. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I just want to encourage our listeners. So it, go out and get this book. It really is uh, amazing. I'm about halfway through it right now, and the the model is really good. The, the way you've told stories, I love that, and and I'm I'm super grateful you talked about that disruption party because my curiosity wants me to like go down this rabbit a whole of like, how did you think of a disruption party? And actually, let's just go there for a second before we wrap up, because how did you think of that disruption party? Because I think that's a cool idea. And tell me more. So I'm the contrarian. So, you know, if you say, oh, think of this, I'll be like, why don't we think of that? And I was chatting with a good friend of ours, Dino Anderson, and he and I had been flirting with this idea for years. And finally, Dean was like, let's make it happen. And so Dina was like the consummate connector. And I'm like, oh, let's throw a party. Cool. So I threw the party. Dino uh, invited the people. And the idea of a disruptor dinner is a little bit like a perspective wheel in coaching. There is a singular topic and mm. different perspectives about that topic. And you invite people together to share different perspectives about a singular topic. So this particular topic was around you know, humans, like human potential. And there was somebody there who's doing robotics. There was somebody there with a time continuum there. Kate and I were there. Yeah. Uh, There was somebody who's like a practitioner inside a company. Uh, I don't know, you know, a a guy had just flown in from Australia and we all got Tam Tams. That was super Oh, nice. Yeah, Um, that was fun. (laughs) I know, right? That was a little disruptive. (laughs) Yeah, Um, And so it was this mishmash of people all focused on a similar topic, but from a different point of view. And the whole idea, back to our our conversation before we started recording, was just to learn and stretch our brain. And, yeah. you know, ignite some fires underneath some people yeah. like us, you know, not that. 
And it was, you know, delightful. It wasn't about making anybody wrong. It wasn't yeah. about changing somebody's point of view. It was actually to help each other amplify our thinking. And it was just such a fun we woke up the next morning we're like well that was super fun yeah no kidding that's it's amazing I I think it's what our country what our world needs right now is more people talking and looking at things from different perspectives about a single topic not making someone right or wrong but to be able just to explore it expand our minds and expand our viewpoints I I love that I think that's great I may have to borrow that and, and create something like that too. I think yeah, we probably didn't make it up. We probably stole it from somewhere else. Yeah, that's right. That's Plagiarism right. is the biggest form of flattery or something that <laughs> right. they say, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, oh, that's great. Well, thank you both for being on. Uh, I you, really David. appreciate your conversation and really your perspective and your work. And I will say to our listeners, they are both very responsive. I reached out to them after I read the Harvard Business Review article and just connected with them on LinkedIn. I said, gosh, this is such great work. I'd, I'd love to have you on the podcast. And boom, within about, I don't know, a day or two, I, we had this set up. So I'm so grateful. And I'm really glad that you were able to share this with, uh, with our community. Well, thank you so much for your support. It really does mean a lot. And, uh, you know, we keep saying this to all these early, early supporters of ours, like, you know, we will return in kind. We so appreciate this kind of support in terms of where we are, because we want more humanity in the workplace we do and the world yes i love it i love it well thank you both i resonate so much with your message and with your work and uh, i definitely want to continue to amplify it so uh, anything that i can do to help certainly will do it appreciate it thanks for having us you're welcome bye-bye i just loved that conversation because there were so many good points that um that were brought up in the conversation. And the first and foremost, I think, is just that people are humans. They're not resources. And so I really think that, and no offense to our people and our our, our folks in, in, in human resources, but we really need to find a, a better term for the human component and the people who take care of our people. And um, the other thing that came out of this for me, and, and it was really in the, the the book title, Humanity Works Better. The reason why I think this is a great title is that we are in a, a new era right now. And I, I can't remember, uh, I think it might have been Debbie that said, you know, people are the heart and soul of an organization. And that HR isn't what it used to be. Human resources is not what it used to be. And... Um, the, the the other the other point that I think is really important, and if you're a leader, you got to hear this. And I, I loved the quote, and this is a quote from the book that if people feel like you give a shit about them, they're going to give it their all. Forgive a little bit of the salty language, but I mean it, it's really true. If people know that you care, and not this false caring stuff, but really truly care. Um, you, you're going to get their all and, and they're going to give it their all. They're going to buy into the mission. They're going to buy into the vision and they're going to go all in. And if this isn't your normal way of, of operating, if this is not the way you were brought up or the way that you grew up in business, it's going to take a, a shift in our mindset. And, and I'm just telling you right now, 
we as leaders have to shift our mindset to adapt to the era that we're in. And 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 I, I think it was Debbie that even said too, maybe, maybe we have to start thinking about having a term of duty. Um, almost like I, I'm almost like a, a contract. I think of like a military contract. You you go in and you sign up for four years, um, you know, and maybe you ask the people as you onboard them, you know, how long do you want to be here? What's your term of duty? And really, I really like the frame that this is the great reset. And it's, it's a time in our working environment that has changed. Everything has changed. And so we have to embrace that change. We have to lean into it. And, and, and just give it an embrace. But more than that, get curious with your people and ask if it's working. Get curious. I, I know that the greatest leaders that I've ever been around are incredibly curious. And when we do that, when we get curious about our people and we embrace change, we're going to turn our culture into our competitive advantage. Because when our people are getting along and they're collaborating better, they'll be more productive and they'll get better results. So don't think that our culture and all of this stuff is fluffy because it it is going to create more productivity and better results. Work gets done at the intersection of humanity was a quote that, that Debbie gave. And I, I just, I love that that our work does get done at the intersection of humanity. And when we when we look at our teams as humans and, and making sure that we care and they know that we care, then we're going to get better results and we're going to be more productive. And if there's something wrong with your culture, you have to shift behaviors. You have to look at behaviors. And I know that that can be uncomfortable but we've we've got to do it. And I really love the practical advice about generous listening and and creating trust within the people of the organization. And really what that says is that if you want collaboration, you have to show up differently and you have to do the internal work on your own and, and claiming your own value and, and and defining your values. I just want to encourage you that if you haven't done this already, I know that our emerging leaders have done this, but create your leadership mission statement that aligns to your values. And that will help be your North Star. And this is going to help you to show up as your authentic self. And 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 when others are watching, you'll be aligned and you'll be congruent. And the other key point that I, I thought was really impactful that uh, Kate shared is Daring not to know and giving people permission to not know something and that admitting that you don't know something is really going to lead to to trust and it's going to allow for and that really truly is uh, what Patrick Lencioni calls vulnerability based trust. So admit that you don't know, know something and allow your people to not know as well. That's a that's a key behavior and a a, a key component in this book uh, that, that that Kate and Debbie have written. Um, and, and just in that, keep ramping up your curiosity. And even if you think you know something, ramp up your curiosity and ask good questions. So keep stepping towards your people, keep making connections with your people and start there. 
So that's the place to start. Wherever your pain is is greatest in your organization, that's going to be where the receptivity is going to be the best. Start there. And, and transformation is going to begin with you as the leader. So I want to just recommend that you go out and, and, and get this book and, and uh, go to humanityworks.com. Or if you go get it on Amazon, you can go to Amazon and uh, get it there and make sure you give them a, a review. So thank you so much for listening in today. This has been an, a great uh, conversation and a, and, and a great uh, interview with some amazing authors. And so I hope that you will uh, tune in again. Uh, go hit the subscribe button, uh, rate the podcast, give us a review, share a little bit of what your key takeaway was from this particular episode. I'd love to hear it. And and again, don't forget to get out and register for the Inner Circle Summit. And I hope to meet you there. Until next time, remain in the growth space and be well. Mm-hmm.